Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 15. Now, we are moving uh, past the first 14 verses of chapter 5 because a few years back I preached a sermon on those verses. Uh, the link to that sermon was found in your preparing for the Lord's Day, and I'm assuming that everybody went back and refreshed their memory about what happened there. Uh, but if not, I would encourage you for uh, uh, background and to continue in the series to go and listen to that. The sermon was called Freely Only. And the, the central point of that was that Naaman, who was a Syrian commander who was uh, leprous, came to Israel and through obedience to the word of Elisha the prophet, he went down to the Jordan River and was cleansed of his leprosy. Now we pick up in verse 15 with the continuing of this story of Naaman and Elisha. And we'll begin there in verse 15. But first, to get our hearts and our minds to where we're going to be as we look at these verses. Now, I'm not sure why exactly I do this. It's probably because I'm either lazy or prideful. Or I think I have more skill with a paintbrush than I actually have. Either way... I have this habit of whenever I begin a painting project, not to change the clothes that I am wearing. There's something within me that believes that this time I'm going to be able to control the flow of paint to such a degree that none of it will splatter or spill or smear on my shirt. However, my collection of paint-covered t-shirts reveals the truth. I'm unable to paint without getting some of it on me. And this is the way that cleanliness works. It's very difficult to keep something clean when it enters into an environment of potential soiling. Right? You have white shoes and they never stay white as you go out into the world. Pants get grass stains on them. Dresses of little girls get sharpie marker marks all over them. At least my girls' dresses do. And I mention this to make the point that it's very difficult to keep yourself clean in an environment that is filled with possible contaminants. In our passage for this morning, we come to the question of how is it that one can be holy, how one can stay clean in a world that's filled with sin and all sorts of uncleanness. If holiness is imagined as a clean white t-shirt and sin as a two-year-old eating spaghetti, how is it that anyone remains clean? Are holy? The answer to this question isn't readily apparent to us, or at least it doesn't seem to be. 
The reason I say this is because we often misapply or misunderstand the nature of holiness in this broken world. And we think that the way that we might remain holy in this world is to run away from this world. In our minds, as we think of those who are holy, maybe we think of a holy hermit, somebody who has run away and now lives in a cave. We think of a monk that lives in a monastery that has removed himself outside of the world, and therefore he is no longer contaminated by this world. It's like those nice white shoes that you buy, but you're too scared to ever put on because you don't want them to get dirty. Because there is red clay out in the world, you won't put them on. And so it seems like the solution is keep them in their box, in the closet, and they'll never get dirty. And yet, you realize that if you never wear them, then they never fulfill their purpose. And if they are for your children, then they will outgrow them quickly and you will have bought them in vain. And so the whole idea of retreating from this world that is filled with sin to keep us from sin is not a satisfactory answer to how we remain holy in a world that's filled with brokenness. Now, each of us are called to holiness. The Lord says to His people, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Elsewhere, we are warned that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. As, or as Jesus puts it positively, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is an understatement to say that holiness is important. In some sense, it is the important question of this life. How is it that I can be holy in a world that is filled with sin? In our passage, we encounter two very different men. And the aim of this passage is to contrast these two men to teach us about the true nature of holiness in a broken world. Now, the first man is Gehazi. And Gehazi is the picture of holiness. He is an Israelite from a holy people. He is a prophet called to a holy profession. He is the servant of Elisha, given a holy position. He is a worshiper of the one true God, at least ostensibly. And he is outwardly or physically clean. On the other hand, you have Naaman. Naaman is a Syrian from an unclean, hostile, Gentile nation. He is a commander of an army called to a profane profession of spilling blood. He is the servant of the Syrian king given a profane position. He is a pagan worshiping false gods. And finally, as you, as we saw in the passage before, he is leprous, which make him ceremonially unclean. Two very different people in relation to the question of holiness. And yet, by the end of our passage, Naaman is clean and Gehazi profane. 
The Gentile is holy and the Israelite is not. It is not at all what we would expect when we come to this chapter. That the one with all the outward marks of holiness would be the one who is defiled, but the one with all the outward marks of profaneness would be the one who is cleansed. And what we will see in the contrast between these two men is that to have true holiness in this broken world, our holiness must be inside out. So here now, the word of the Lord, Second Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this, mass, in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our great God, 
and everlasting sovereign God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. O God, whom we long to know, grant to us Your Holy Spirit that in knowing Your Word we might know Your presence, that in following Your ways we might live in Your light. We pray, O God, that Your Word, Lord, would transform us from the inside out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We begin with Naaman. Now what we see in Naaman is a man who has been born anew. In verse 14, one verse before we began reading, we learned that his flesh had become like a newborn child, like a little child, and he was cleansed from his leprosy. And this outward healing that we learned about is evidence of an inward birth. This rebirth is not only displayed in healing, but even more so in the confession of faith that we see in verse 15 of our text. Look down there at your text. See what he says in the second half of verse 15. He says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman, a Syrian pagan, has a confession of faith now in the one true God. We must grasp how radical of a change has occurred. Naaman has now in this verse shown that he has accepted biblical religion. There are no other gods in all the earth except for the one true God of Israel. He has come to believe Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Conversion, rebirth, it occurs when God uses His Word to change the heart of a man by the power of His Holy Spirit. He takes from him his heart of stone and gives to him a heart of flesh. And the outward evidence of this new birth is a declaration of of faith. This is why following the sermon, we have our affirmation of faith, because this is an opportunity for you to outwardly declare what you believe in your heart. This is the truth that Paul was articulating when he said in Romans chapter 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. By God's grace, Naaman was reborn. Then he believed in his heart and he confessed with his mouth. Naaman's heart had been changed and therefore he is accounted as holy. As we ask the question of how we might be holy in a world that is filled with sin, we must begin inwardly because the heart is the source of sin. The stain of sin is not primarily something that comes from outside of us, but rather the stain of sin comes from within. Sin is a heart issue. This is what Jesus meant when He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles Him. 
For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And because sin comes from the heart, it is the heart that must be made holy first. And this change of heart is the very promise of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. The Lord promises through the prophet Ezekiel, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Christian, Your holiness is not determined by your past life. It is not determined by the outward circumstances of your nationality or your gender or your socioeconomic status. Rather, it is the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have been cleansed by his blood that he shed on the cross. And even as Naaman was called by the Word of God to be washed in the Jordan River, so too are we called to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, that we might be cleansed inwardly of our sin and have our heart changed. You see, holiness in this broken world must be inside out. Now, In contrast to Naaman's new heart, we have Gehazi's broken heart. While Naaman has declared his faith in the Lord and he's offered a gift, Gehazi uses his mouth to confess lies to Elisha and Naaman and then seeks to receive ill-gotten gain. In short, Gehazi displays that while he was outwardly holy, internally He is filled with deception and greed. This broken heart is displayed in a few ways. First, it's that he lies to Naaman. We see that he concocts a story about two young men who have just arrived. And these two young men, they they need some money and they need some clothes. Naaman has already twice offered money to Elisha and both times he has refused because Elisha is teaching him that the salvation that we receive in the Lord is not something that we purchase. It is something that is given to us by grace alone. But Gehazi looks to this as an opportunity to find a way to make the money. So he goes and makes this request to Naaman through the story he invents and suggests that the situation has changed. Gehazi also lies to Elisha. He comes back from his little errand and stands before Elisha. And when Elisha asks him where he has been, he says in verse 25, your servant went nowhere. I don't think it's a very good idea to lie to a prophet like Elisha. He knew right away what was happening. Both Naaman and Gehazi refer to themselves as servants of Elisha. And yet Naaman professes belief and gratitude in Gehazi, deceit and deception. 
Now, I think that we can all imagine why it was that Gehazi wanted this money. Right? Having money in general is a nice thing. And with all the inflation that we are currently experiencing, I think that we can all understand the temptation to get some extra money if somebody's offering it. Elisha, I'm glad that you are being super spiritual and all, but we need to keep the lights on at the church. So why don't we receive this offering from Naaman? And Gehazi was in much more need than we are. Remember, those following Elisha were not wealthy at all. They were depending on miracle bread to be able to eat. If Naaman became their patron, they wouldn't have to worry about food anymore. Maybe they'll be able to have a greater influence in Israel. The mission of God is going to go forward in more power if Elisha will just set aside his morals for a minute and allow Naaman to give them money. And so Gehazi disobeys Elisha and he swindles the silver away. You see, Gehazi was outwardly a holy man. But what we see is that even as he was outwardly clean, He was inwardly broken. For years he had served with the prophets. He had been Elisha's right hand man. From every outward sign he was a believer. And yet the human heart is deceitful above all things. And unless one is reborn through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the broken heart continues to stain our lives from within. If it is the most beneficial for you to appear to be a believer, then the heart of stone will convince you that you are a believer. There might be social benefit, relational benefit, financial benefit. Church might be entertaining to you or therapeutic to you. Maybe your heart tells you that you believe because you want to appear self-righteous or because you're trying to deal with some past guilt and you think that if you pretend to be a believer outwardly that that guilt will be assuaged. There are thousands of reasons why someone might want to believe that they are a believer. And the old heart will convince you that you are a believer if it is beneficial to you at the time. And to keep this up, you will surround yourself with every outward sign of holiness. You will go to church. You will receive baptism and communion. You'll read your Bible. You'll listen to Christian radio. You'll send your kids to a Christian school. You'll get one of those fish bumper stickers and put it on your car and you'll say, I'm a Christian. But when the benefit of being a Christian is taken away, then your true heart will be revealed. For whatever reason, Gehazi had gotten into the business of being a prophet's servant. I don't know what his motive was. But when the opportunity came to become more comfortable, he abandoned holiness. He lied to everyone in sight and revealed his covetous heart. He was like the Pharisees whom Jesus rebuked when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I don't know your motive for why you are here today. My hope is that because you are like Naaman and you have received the forgiveness of sins through faith in God's Word and you have been inwardly cleansed and you desire To confess with your mouth through worship and submission to the Word of God, your love. But I would be naive to believe that there is no one here among us who are like Gehazi. Here to maintain your outward holiness. You have come to clean the outside of the cup. You've come to whitewash the tomb. You've come to build a case for your own righteousness, but your heart remains hard. You must hear the Word of God this day and believe. You must turn from trusting in your own outward holiness and trust God to create within you a true holiness through faith in Jesus' blood shed to cleanse you. Because holiness must be inside out. You see, holiness does not flow outside in a cup that is clean on the outside does not lead to a a cup that is clean on the inside a true life of holiness flows inside out you must clean the inside first all of our kids now take to school these water bottles i don't know i just use water fountains when i was young but now if you have a kid they have to have water bottles to go to school it's the thing now And so often those water bottles get left in the van and when it gets hot, things begin to grow on the inside. Now we can wash the outside of those water bottles, but if you open them up and you haven't cleaned the inside, it's filled with all sorts of nastiness. I know that you understand. You would rather have a water bottle that may have a little bit of mud and dirt on the outside and be banged up, but inside is cleansed. And that is what we are coming to in the Word this morning. Now, Naaman sees a potential conflict between this inward cleansing, this new heart, and his old life. We cannot forget that Naaman is still a Syrian general. And as a general in the army of Syria, there were certain ceremonies that could not be avoided. There were certain rituals that had to be performed with the king of Syria. Look down at verse 18. It says, this is, this is Naaman talking to Elisha. He says, in this matter... 
May the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, so this is the king of Syria, goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Now I have to admit that this request threw me. I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. You see, for clarity's sake, he is asking in advance for forgiveness to facilitate the king of Syria's pagan worship. He is asking in advance for forgiveness to go into the temple of Ramon and help the Syrian king bow down to this false god. It would have been a lot cleaner and fit into my categories better if Elisha would have said, nope, you can't do that. That's crossing a line. Just resign your job. Come and be a prophet here with us. Or even better, come and join the army of Israel and help fight against Syria. But Elisha's response teaches us something radical about the nature of holiness. He says in verse 19, go in peace. What does that mean? It means that the new heart of Naaman will not be destroyed by his outward circumstances. Or to put it another way, holiness does not flow from the outside in, but rather from the inside out. God does not remove Naaman from his messy life. Nor does He remove all the moral dilemmas or difficulties in our own lives. Rather, God changes our heart by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ and then sends us into a world that is still sinful. To live in the world, but not be of the world. We live in an increasingly non-Christian environment. One that is even beginning to be hostile to Christianity. There is the encroaching secularism in our public institutions as well as greater religious diversity in the culture at large. And it's become impossible to be and exist in the public square and not encounter such moral dilemmas. And it's our natural instinct to retreat To withdraw. It's been to form what we might call a holy huddle and build walls and fences to protect our holiness from the outside world. We've bought into the idea that holiness flows from the outside in, not from the inside out. We're not talking about engaging in sin. We're talking about creating an outward illusion of holiness by avoiding anything that we think will contaminate us. We fear that simply being in the world will of necessity make us of the world. You see, we are talking about being scared to take our light out into a dark world because the darkness might diminish our light. But sin does not begin outside of us. It begins in the heart. And in like manner, holiness does not come from getting our environment correct. It comes from a new heart given to us by God's grace alone. And the darkness will not be be able to overcome that light. 
This world does not need Christians to retreat. Those whose hearts have been born anew by the grace of God are the light of the world. And we need our light to shine before others. And if your heart has been born anew, then you need not worry for your holiness does not come from outside, but it comes from God and from the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So Naaman is told by Elisha, go in peace for your new heart has given you new life. Holiness by its very nature flows outward and you who have been given a new heart must live out this reality. We have our outreach t-shirts that we ask our members to wear when we go into the Rivermont neighborhood and they have this phrase on them, in Rivermont, for Rivermont. And this phrase means that we are missionaries to our neighborhood. We go out into the Rivermont neighborhood for the sake of those who live in our Rivermont neighborhood. Because we believe that by its very nature, holiness is outward flowing. We believe that the good news of the gospel does not compel us to run inward, but it compels us outward. If we think holiness is outside in, then we retreat. Then we hide and we avoid all difficulties and we avoid all dilemmas. But if we believe that holiness is inside out, then we move outward into the world as salt and light, not fearful, but bold that the light will overcome the darkness. So what is the true nature of holiness? Well, it begins with a heart that is cleansed and it moves outward into the world. And in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this truth displayed for us in the most vivid of ways. For the Holy One Himself, the Son of God, chose to be joined to the human race. The fullness of the Holy God born into a broken world. The holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ was not corrupted by this broken environment. But rather, he was willing to humble himself, to come down into the mess of our lives. He was willing to get down into the muddiness and the messiness, the difficulties and the dilemmas of our everyday lives, so that his holiness might flow outward to the world. He came not fearful of being made dirty, but he came bold that he might cleanse. And because of this boldness to cleanse, He was accused over and over again of breaking tradition, of being a glutton. He ate with sinners. He hung out with tax collectors. He spoke with prostitutes. But the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be overcome. And instead of being made profane, his presence made the world clean. When he interacted with prostitutes, they left their lives of sin. When he went to tax collectors' home, they began to give away their money. When he touched lepers, they were cleansed. Because Christ's holiness flows outward. And that is why he could go to the most profane and broken of places. He went to the cross. And as Paul tells us, Christ at the cross became sin. Christ was cursed. The Holy One took on our sin. 
But the flow of holiness is inside out. And by the power of His holiness, Christ overcame sin and death. And now because of His sacrifice, we too might be cleansed inwardly that this holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ might flow outward through us to the world. Christian, our holiness does not come from avoiding this world and getting outward holiness correct. Rather, it flows from the Holy Spirit given to us by Christ. It flows from a heart that has been changed and renewed by Him. This is what the Word of God is teaching us this morning. That we can live in a world that is filled with brokenness and sin and remain holy. Because holiness is inside out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O Father God, we come to you and we pray, O God, that you would cleanse our hearts and that even as Naaman was cleansed, inwardly and outwardly, that we too, O God, might receive the new heart, the promise of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, and that our holiness given to us by Christ would not cause us to retreat, but to advance into this broken world. That we might be in Rivermont for Rivermont that we might be in the world for the world. We pray this all for Your glory and honor, Lord Jesus. Amen.